Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. If we hear anything about that Besbra story during the morning, we'll certainly let you know with regard to the uh, permission. Uh, and we'll be looking at Groundhog Day. It is Groundhog Day today. Groundhog Day is the 2nd of February. It's beginning to feel like every day is Groundhog Day at this stage. We'll look into that later. And if, as a result of that, and that's a little throwaway comment, you've been feeling just a little bit off of late. And I don't mean people now who are suffering panic attacks. I don't mean people who are suffering with terrible anxiety being caused by all of this horrible situation in which we have found ourselves now for way, way too long. I'm talking about the people who are in the majority, those of us who've been getting through this with fairly robust old mental health, doing all right. Do you know what I mean? It's boring and it's dull, but it's grand. You get up and you get on with it and you get out and you get on with it and you do what you have to do and you get on with what you have to do. But it's getting hard. And I've been talking more and more to people about that in the last week or two. Myself, Terry, Fergal here, we're all saying it's getting hard now. Even those of us who are fairly tough and fairly resilient and can put up with an awful lot, uh, I would definitely rate Fergal probably as the toughest of all of us here. It's, 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 it's got skin like a crocodile's backside when it comes to all this stuff. But, you know, we're all finding it tough now. Uh, we'll be talking about that after 10 o'clock. So if anything ordinary day-to-day to do with this is getting on top of you, we'll have a, a conversation about that this morning because it is getting tough and we're all feeling very flat and very, very battered by it all at this stage. So we will try to brighten that up a small bit later on this morning. One of the ways we could do it is by focusing on the good science. Um, There's a lot of good science out there. And between all the rows over vaccines and selling them and buying them and not nearly having a border back and all that carry on, it's been very hard to stay positive uh, over the last few days. So I think it's probably time to check in with one man who, in fairness to him, gives us lots of good science in a way we can understand, but also focuses as much as he possibly can on the positive. I think it's just the way the way you're make, made up, Professor Luke O'Neill. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How's it going? Good. And good to talk to you again, Luke. And we are all feeling a little bit flat and a little bit battered at this stage. You wrote a, a very interesting piece in, in the Sunday Independent and I was having one of those flat old mornings and it cheered me up a bit. But what you're saying, we're at a very crucial point now where the science is good but the mood is not great and the government need to deliver with a plan. 
Yes, exactly, PJ. I mean, you're right. Everybody's a bit flat, aren't we? Because now February is dragging. Groundhog Day is a great thing to talk about later, PJ. I should try and tune in. Because every day is the same for people, isn't it? I mean, you get up in the morning, you go to work even at home, and then you come home again or whatever, you know. But remember, the science just keeps rolling. And, and more and more and more science is being done on this virus. And as you said, I keep an eye on the bit that tells us we're going to get out of it, you know. And it's getting better. And, and, and the, the prediction is, you see, we'll get the counts right down, as you know. And certainly by the end of February, the ship will have definitely turned. Thankfully, you know, and we have less people in hospital, less deaths, mercifully. But the government has to do something. And I say, look, this is what we're going to do after March the 5th, when the, the notional date of reopening or the beginning of reopening. The government is, is obliged to give us all something to look forward to, I feel, and tell us this is what the plan is. And they are trying to do it, to be honest, to give them some credit. They're laying it out ahead of us, you know. But, but it's their job really now to say, look, we will not go through another lockdown. This should be the last one. And here are the measures we're going to try to implement to make sure this doesn't happen. Mm. Last night we heard Philip Nolan telling us that the numbers are starting to plateau. And, and they're worried about that because you don't want them to get halfway down and then stop going down. But your colleague on Sunday said that by the end of February, we will see a very evident pattern. Yeah. Yeah, there's a trend for, and you see these plateaus, but that's because people go into hospital and they're kept in hospital for weeks. You see some people because they're very ill and they take time to discharge. That's why you see kind of a, a plateauing effect, I would say. But then they have to begin to come down because the dreaded or not, the one that says how much is spreading, that's gone right down below one. And that means to stop spreading in the community. And then that translates eventually into less hospitalizations and then less ICU admissions you see. So now it's hard to predict exactly when. And they are a bit cautious. They're, they're trying to say, look, keep at it, is the message, I suppose. Because yeah. we need to keep going. You know, if we keep going, these things will turn even more dramatically. And if we're lucky, PJ, towards the end of February, there'll be very clear evidence that we're going back to the way we should be, really. Mm. Before I get on to the, the subject of vaccines, I want to tease a few things out with you on those numbers. And I've been doing the numbers almost as a feature on the programme now for the last six, seven months, on a Monday and on a Friday as they relate to Cork yeah. and, and, and dealing with specific metres like the 14-day figure and all of that. Can you explain, Luke, the time lag? Why someone testing positive today is not the same as that number will be in two weeks? Why, why should we watch the numbers and be conscious of a time lag? It's because it's, it's very variable, PJ. So if you're infected today, you won't develop symptoms till day five or seven. And you'd be sick maybe, you know, for three, four or five days, and then you begin to come out of it. That's on average. But some develop symptoms seven days later. Some get very severe on day 12. And then if you're severe and you're hospitalized, you can expect to be in hospital for at least a week, two, three, four weeks. And again, there's a range there. The average ICU stay is a minimum of two weeks, you see. So once someone's in the ICU, they're going to be there for at least two weeks. Some might stretch out to three or four weeks. So that's why there's a bit of a variability, I suppose, in these numbers as they move. And then, But the most important thing is the input, so the number of cases per day. That has to start falling to translate ultimately into, yeah. into less people and so on. So it, is, it, is, um, it, it moves around a little bit. They use the 14-day average. So that's give you, that gives you kind of a, a broader snapshot about what's going on, as opposed to, say, every single day. And is that down to the fact that it can take up to 14 days, as it were, to germinate into a full-blown case from the day you're infected? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, somewhere as long as that, you see. But on yeah. average, as I say, you begin developing symptoms day three, four, five, six, that kind of range, and they get really severe then. Sometimes they get, people get slightly better, strangely. And yes. They suddenly have a relapse. Like a second rush. Worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that seems to be it. Another feature of this damn virus, which you've learned, you know, other viruses aren't quite like that. Mm. You get sick and then you get better. This one, it kind of fools you. 
you yeah. feel a bit better, and then two or three days later, people plummet, you see. So, so again, it's something to watch very closely in terms of the course through this. But we know for a mathematical fact, less, less cases will translate into less everything else, which yeah. includes hospitalisation and so on. There was, I think it's fair to say, and one of the public health doctors in the West of Ireland was saying it last week, I think her name was Mae Mannix, she was saying that there's a little bit of a health warning on the numbers at the moment, that even though the R is down, like you say, they haven't been testing close contacts, so there could be a lot of cases out there that we haven't counted. That, yeah. that, that puts a bit of a health warning on it all, doesn't it? It does, but you need, common sense tells you nobody's mixing and mingling, let's face it, generally. There might mm. be a small amount of it going on, but it's very minor now, especially compared to what it was at Christmas, obviously enough. And that means the virus can't spread because it's, as you know, BJ, it jumps from me into you. Yeah. If I stay away from you, you can't catch it off me. You know, that's the simple rule that we're all following. And the evidence is compelling that... Uh, we're now doing that, you know. Let's, let's move on to, to vaccines because despite the confusion, the news is good. It is. It's getting better. I mean, there's the other great thing. I mean, it's still remarkable, PJ, that we have managed to make all these vaccines that are highly efficacious so quickly and then we can start deploying them. And then you saw on Friday, AstraZeneca was approved. That's another one that we have. And then two more, Johnson & Johnson and Novavax. Both of those released their data from their trials. And again, remarkable efficacy. I mean, the Novavax one, especially 89% efficacious. Johnson & Johnson was a little bit lower. It was around 66% on average, which, by the way, is still a good number mm. because any, anything over 60 is very good, really. And really. In fact, the FDA in America said at the start of all this, anything over 50 would do them as a, as a way to beat the virus, you see. So, so to see those numbers is extremely encouraging. And will J&J come on stream here? Will Novavax come on stream here? They will. The EU has ordered 400 million doses of J&J, and that's a great vaccine because it's a single shot. So it's not like two shots, which is a bit more involved, obviously, and it keeps in your fridge for three months, a big plus there. Right. Uh, and, then, and then Novavax, they've ordered 200 million doses. The EU now, I think, has 1.7 billion doses of vaccine ordered from all the various companies, which will vaccinate, you know, five times the number of people in Europe kind of thing. So they're, they're, they're kind of preparing for this. The next question becomes, can we get the vaccines in? And that was the latest yeah. couple of glitches, you see. But, 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 but by God, they, they said, look, we have this amount on order. They're pressing the companies hard. They made AstraZeneca agree to another nine million. You may have seen that yesterday. I so, did. So they're doing their damnedest, basically, to try to make sure we have that supply sorted. That whole situation that developed last week with, with AstraZeneca, that, that cut in on the national mood because, you know, we looked at the chart that they gave us and most, yep. of us, most of us will be able to get a jab or at least our first jab by the start of the summer uh, and everyone should be done by, by September. And then AstraZeneca's numbers began to topple. Yeah. Uh, and, and now you're thinking, will it be the end of the year? But are you saying, Luke, that as everyone gets that little rubber stamp, the date that we can all go to the doctor or the chemist and yeah. get jabbed is coming closer? Yeah, it was a shame, AstraZeneca, PJ, because it was a bit of a knock to us, wasn't it? But I knew <laughs> these next two vaccines will be here in short order. So even though AstraZeneca delays it a bit, ultimately we'd have lots of supply. And I also knew it had to be mission one. Brussels to get this sorted with AstraZeneca or the other companies. So I would predict once we get to sort of say the end of March time, there'll be five vaccines available and then there shouldn't be any issue at all with supply. So, but you can see people, as, as you were saying earlier, everybody's a bit on edge and a bit anxious. And you yeah. see a headline, you all look at a headline, we're in trouble now, it'll be kicked out even further. But I kind of knew myself that that may be a tiny delay, 
it certainly was a wake-up call for the EU to keep on these companies and say, look, you've, you've signed the contract. You better deliver the vaccines. So that, that was the good part. But I did, it didn't really knock me back too much. And especially on Friday, I was lifted, usually, PJ, with the uh, EMA approving it. And then the Johnson & Johnson Novavax data coming out, you see. So I knew it's almost like a day-by-day thing, isn't it? I mean, every day we're getting news on these vaccines. It's incredible. Like every morning I wake up and there's three or four more nuggets of information you see so it is very much uh, a work in progress but again we we, but again we can be very optimistic but that timeline i'd say will be met you know the one that the government established and and that's the key timeline for us all to look at because the other great news this morning was israel which Mm. as you may know are well ahead of everybody else almost with the vaccinations it's working in israel the vaccine there's a guy called Aaron Siegel, who I know personally, he's been monitoring the data. They're getting a 30% decrease in hospitalizations, for instance, already oh, wow. from their vaccination wow. campaign. Now, and, again, they, they, a, and they were in serious trouble six weeks ago, weren't they? They, they were they one of the first it. countries to go back into lockdown. Yeah, big, big trouble. Their case numbers are, are not plateauing necessarily, interestingly. So, but still, there's much less hospitalizations. So that, that vaccine is protecting the over 60s, is what that data looks like. Now, again, it's a work in progress. We've got to Little, little pinch of salt here because they're watching it as it emerges. But there was a great uh, announcement last night from Aaron saying the magic has begun is how he phrased it. Because here we have evidence that the over 60s are being protected, which is what we want you to see. So that's a great sign. When will we know? This is, this is, I suppose, the burning question. I know I asked you this the last time that, that we spoke. That the vaccine, my vaccine, whatever one it is, whether it's J&J, Nova, Pfizer, whatever, yeah. my vaccine in my arm will prevent me getting sick. At what point will we know, Luke, that it prevents you from getting sick if I meet you in the street? That's the next question. We still don't know that one. It must be admitted we're watching that one. And and the evidence on the trials didn't examine that strangely. So in other words, they vaccinated people and then didn't take swabs from their noses to see if they're getting infected. You see, and again, I suppose it was because they were looking after one thing there to stop them getting sick. But the trial didn't. Trials haven't told us much about that. But guess where it will? It's Israel because they're measuring everybody. And they're taking samples off vaccinated people trying to see if it's if a bit of virus will go up their nose or not, you know. And again, two weeks ago, they said there was evidence of a third decrease in spread with the Pfizer vaccine. So that means that's the right direction, you know. So you never know. It could turn out that there will be more and more evidence of a decrease in spread. And the second thing is, PJ, the other vaccines coming along, the newer ones, we're kind of predicting they might work even better mm. in that regard because, because they may get the immune system going in your nose. The, the issue here is, you see, you want the vaccine to work in your lungs to stop you having breathing difficulties, but a tiny bit might grow in your nose, and that might then spread to someone else. And, of course, if they're not vaccinated, they're going to their lungs and harm them, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we think some of the ones that are coming down may be protecting in the nose. Certainly, we, we're also of the view that even if you get a bit of virus in your nose and you've got the vaccine, it'll be a much lower dose. Because mm. it'll quench that, it. Yeah, and you, you'll spread less then. If you do infect someone... They'll pick up a much smaller dose, and it's all about dose, remember. Yeah, because so isn't, isn't part of the spread, isn't that down to, well, you get you get the vaccine in the nose, and, and it, it has to start growing. If it yeah. doesn't start to grow, yeah. you, you don't get infectious. Precisely. That's exactly it. Exactly. If the, we've got to stop the vaccine. The vaccine has to do two things. To protect your body from getting really sick, and that means having your immune... It's like the troops. You have troops in your lungs if the, if the virus ends up there. We've got to make sure there's troops in your nose as well. And these vaccines don't bring out that many troops in the nose. So a tiny bit of virus. You don't have no symptoms because you're not getting sick. You know, very, very limited symptoms. But yet you still might have a tiny bit of virus in your nose. So the advice at the moment is after you're vaccinated, carry on with the usual measures just in case. You don't want to go infecting 
a vulnerable person when I mean, you've been vaccinated, mm. you see. So, so for the moment, the advice won't change on this one yeah. until we get really clear evidence, which, of course, we're, we're, we're looking for very closely. And you know the way you get two doses, or indeed in, with, with um, Johnson Johnson, it'll be one dose, but let's, we're, we're dealing with two dose vaccines at the moment and there's a gap yeah. between them and all that. About how long do we know after you have both of your jabs are, is the vaccine fully active? Do we know the act, how long that takes? We do. It's rapid. So by the time you, after your second dose, almost within a, a day, say, you should have a really good immune system then really built. So you've kind of primed your body with the first dose. It's, it's good to go kind of thing. Mm. It's as if you've woken up the troops, say. right, And then the second dose, as you give him his gun, and then he's off and fighting. You know? so, so it's a bit like that. So, so pretty quickly after that second dose, you will be. And in fact, one fantastic study in Johnson & Johnson, they showed 49 days. Now, it does take time for the immune system to, to learn, you see. It's because I go to school, I suppose, in a way. But, but the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, 49 days after, nobody got sick, nobody got hospitalized, no severe. It was zero in that vaccinated group. Wow. So, so by day 49, the troops are fully armed, if you know what I mean. Now, there may be guidelines, maybe give it three or four days after the second dose to be on the safe side, stuff like that, you know, say with people in nursing homes and so on. But at the moment, as far as I can gather, the evidence would say after day 21, you get your second shot and now you're protected. If I get into my car, Luke, and I drive, now I would be breaking my 5K, but I suppose because it's for work, I could say it's an essential journey. But if I drive down maybe 10K down to Ring of Skiddy and that general area, yeah. we've got a massive bank of pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. In the, Could we or should we be making and licensing our own supplies here? We could be, and that's being discussed, because remember, all those multinationals, have great factories in Ireland. They're all here, as you may know. And you see, Ring of Skiddy is a real uh, fantastic place for this industry. So, and some of them make vaccines. And in fact, the Johnson & Johnson plant was on to me. They, they keep sending me little press releases and saying it's going great for us, you know. And that's a, they're a global company, you know. But they could consider turning some of those places into vaccine manufacturing places. Is like there that. a big turnaround involved there? There is. That's the trouble. So it would take time to respect the place and change all the various things to make this, these specific vaccines. And then that, that would be a cost to the company and so on. It just takes a bit of time, I suppose. But they're saying that the factories they've got will pump out billions of doses eventually, remember. And you may have seen as well, PJ, Sanofi and Novartis are now making the Pfizer vaccine unprecedented collaboration yeah. between companies. They've turned over their factories to, to Pfizer. So I guess stuff for the companies themselves. They may indeed deploy some of those places though down the line if they feel they can ramp up supply obviously the spotlight's on them now saying get as much vaccine made as possible and they're they are doing their best i suppose but you never know the irish the irish plants may be engaged as well if you had covid already do you do you need to get a vaccine well that's the advice at the moment yeah because because the jury is still slightly out on your risk of reinfection now i must say something that's becoming clearer if you've been infected, there's a really good chance you won't get reinfected. And if you do get reinfected, you have, mild, you have a milder disease because your immune system has been there, you know, to, to fight the first round of infection. So that evidence is getting stronger, but we still don't fully know. There are cases of reinfection for definite. It's just not clear how common that is. The advice right now at this particular moment is anybody who's been infected should get the vaccine just in case they're at risk of reinfection. You might have a situation, PJ, and say, let's say we get to June, July time. 
Mm. Uh, where we're now into the general public, remember, by then, which is tremendous altogether, isn't it? Because we've protected all Brilliant. the vulnerable. Yeah. You might say to people, if you've been infected, maybe wait a few weeks if supply is an issue, because there's a good chance you're protected. You're even less vulnerable than someone who wasn't infected, you know? Mm. So that might be that might happen. There might be a, a guideline there. Now, now, you can get vaccinated if you want, but, but they might say, maybe wait three or four weeks and let other people go first who haven't been infected, you see. So mm. that's a possibility. Well, any, with all the great scientists that we have in this country, any someone is suggesting here, is there a story about an Irish vaccine and that maybe it comes in, in a pill or a sugar drop like the polio one did? I haven't heard that. No, that's news to me. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Irish labs, like my own, are mainly on the therapeutic side. We're trying to develop treatments for people in hospital as opposed to developing new... Although there is a great expertise in vaccinology. By the way, Anne Moore in UCC, let's give Anne a shout-out. Mm. She, she was in the AstraZeneca, in the Oxford group for years. She's a great vaccinologist, you know. And you, you'll find that these scientists are advising some of the companies, PJ, and helping them. Like, I'm advising one or two, and they ask me my opinion on things, you know. So Irish, Irish science is very much active in the area in general. Yeah, so it's it's a lot more positive than I suppose we might think. Looking, looking at the news headlines, you you quoted in the piece in the Independent on Sunday. You, you were talking about having a a Zoom call with a friend in Australia to celebrate Australia yeah. Day. We look at Australia, Luke, and we talk to our friends and our cousins and our relatives and friends over in Australia, and we talk to great doctors like Niall Conroy, who've succeeded in doing great yeah. work over there regularly on this program, actually. And then we hear people telling us, oh, we couldn't do that. We couldn't do that here. It's just not possible. Is it? Well, as I put in the piece, I wanted to really ram home the message, Peja, that this zero COVID notion is scientifically sound. In other words, what those scientists are recommending could, could really work, you know, because it's worked in Australia, it's worked in New Zealand, it's worked in South Korea. Those are examples of a really stringent policy on testing and tracing and, and quarantining and border control works, you see. But the trouble is, as you well know, we've got an open border, haven't we, with the North and with the EU. So I think it has to be some kind of UK, EU-wide policy. There's no point in us killing ourselves for, say, three more months of this. Uh, which, remember in Victoria, they had 100 days of it, as you may remember. Yes. And they got rid of it. Of course they did. It was tremendous performance. But if we go to all that effort and this little bit of virus slips in somewhere and then we're, we're back in trouble again, that, t- that effort will, have been, will be devastated, won't we? Mm. But so, if we could dovetail our own yeah. sort of version of zero COVID using people like, and I quote him here because he's been on with me frequently, Gabriel Scali at this stage, yeah. using that level of expertise in public health and, and Anthony Staines and others and, and working, could we not dovetail yeah. that into a mass vaccination programme? You could, and it's a, it's, a, it's a job for the politicians. I'm not trying to say it's easy for them, but the politicians have to get in a room and sort this out among them. And if we could have a, there's a few suggestions. There's a two-island thing. In other words, Ireland and the UK has, has the exact same travel policies, you see. And then there's an EU-wide thing. There's a more limited one involving Ireland and the border being somehow controlled. But, but these are all political challenges aren't they yeah. need to get into a room right? yeah okay. the, another a suggestion uh, that was made was that you could treat the border area as a, as a public health region work it jointly yeah. you could do that yeah precisely there's ways to go about it and we, we have till the 5th of March BJ in my opinion mm. to get our act together on these questions because we don't want this, a spike do we say in April May June time that'll be unbearable for us all so, so it really is about that sort of thing of getting in a room and trying to work. Did you see the Isle of Man is now got oh, COVID? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, there's a local, there's a place nearby. 
No, it's a bit easier for them, I suppose. But there you have it. Well, they have a population of 85,000 and they were able to lock it down completely, but then they still yep. need supplies coming in and out, so they've had to do a great job there. They do. Yeah. L- lastly and briefly, Luke, um, antigen testing. We are doing it now for the hauliers, yeah. but for some reason that I can't get into my head, Neffet don't seem sold on antigen testing. Again, now there are, the trouble is, you see, the, the evidence was a bit a bit scrappy, shall we say. Some of the kits weren't great, Paige. This is where you spit into a tube, effectively, yourself, you know, and it's like a pregnancy test. Now, when I saw the hauliers do it, I said, why isn't that good enough for our teachers now, or our, in our schools, or in our workplace? Whatever kit those hauliers are using to do this, uh, and whatever methods they're doing, we should be deploying that in lots of places, was my point there. Because even though it's not perfect and there's, there's, imp- there's imprecisions in it it's still another weapon great weapon to use mm. and the other thing that was really striking last week another piece of science that came up if you're a positive in that antigen test that means you're definitely infectious which means you should stay home a PCR test sometimes that's picking up remnants of virus long after you've been infectious and then you're told to stay home you know and you mightn't be infectious at all so, so in other words in, in, in the opinion of the scientists the antigen test is a better predictor of how infectious you are and that's another reason that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because it's really good at picking up the live virus, whereas the PCR test can pick up bits of dead virus, you see. So, see. so in other words, it's a, bit more, it's a bit more predictive. Now, again, you're going to see, you know, false negatives in this here and there. It's not, it's not as, the, the PCR is still the gold standard. That is definitely either positive or negative in terms of, you know, picking up some virus, you know. Right. Whereas the antigen test is a little bit of, inaccu- little bit of accuracy. But as I say, as soon as I saw the, the lorry driver's doing it routinely. I'm thinking mm. that should be widely right. Plus, it's, it's cheap as chips, isn't it? Very cheap as well. And it's not just me saying this, by the way. I'm picking, picking this up off others. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love the government to go, look, we are now going to introduce antigen testing in our schools initially, maybe. And you could train a teacher, you see, to look after it in a way. Mm. We and had a help, pilot, pilot program up the road from us here in one of our local schools. I don't think it ever went anywhere, but they did it. Yeah. One issue, PJ, was they did a big one in Liverpool. Uh, there's a universal testing, and there was a bit of a problem with it. It wasn't as accurate as they wanted, you know, and the data wasn't great, and that put people off a bit, you know. It's a bit like the masks, to be honest, where there's reluctance initially. The data gets better, and then they say, do it. I think that's what's happening here, and I'm hoping they do it before the 5th of March is my next mm, goal. I know. That, once we get to the end, you think. Well, you know, finally, to, to just, just to, to summarise, and we've been through a lot, and I thank you for your time, is people are sitting here this morning on the 2nd of February on Groundhog Day, and they're going, please give me something to work towards. There's another month and a bit of it and we don't even know what they'll do then. Please give me something to work towards. Give me some little bit of a positivity that I can cling to. Will you do that for me, Luke? I will, of course. And I was caught on the hop there last week by the Irish Times, PJ, when they asked me, when are we going to be in the beer gardens? And I said, June, right? So now I think it's not unreasonable because you're outdoors if you're in a beer garden, right? The tables could be distanced. There won't be everybody cramming into a beer garden having great fun, but it's possible we'd be sitting in a beer garden, sipping a beer with a couple of friends, distanced from another table, uh, maybe for an hour. You know, they might restrict the time, but there's something to think about. In other words, in June, if everything goes according to plan, in June, we're going to be, we're going to see things begin to come back that we want. And there's one example. The second one to look forward to is this, and it's, it's a really important reason. If we vaccinate the people over 70 in care homes, 
it's only a matter of time before they can come out and visit us. And certainly before we can go in and visit them, because now they're protected. Can you imagine? We've given them a suit of armour now yeah. that gives them 90% protection, which is a great number, by the way. That means they're pretty safe now. We, won't, we, we certainly won't infect them when we visit them, you know, and that's the big goal here. So I'm waiting for that next directive. It has to reach a certain level of protection, of course, initially. And then I'm waiting for the government to go, right, you can bring your dear, dearly beloved out or go in and visit them in a nursing home. And that, that could, if we're lucky, that could be April, you know. Oh, wow. Well, that's something to look forward to. Listen, thanks ever so much, Luke, as always, for your time. Uh, that's Professor Luke O'Neill uh, from Trinity College, Biochemistry and Immunology. Thank you so much, Luke. 1850 I think that's a bit more positive uh, than what we've been having. And tomorrow we'll be talking about zero COVID and looking into that whole thing as a science and how you might do it. But he's just said there, we could do it and we could or do a form of it that suits us and dovetail it with a vaccine program. That's the best, that's the best analysis I've heard so far. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96FM. Some of your comments on my conversation with Professor Luke O'Neill. PJ, my brother in law got his first jab. Then a week later, he was mass tested in work as an outbreak was detected. I'm assuming Paul is on the front line. He got one positive test, a non-response result and a negative test in the space of three days. Yeah, well, a couple of things going on there. First of all, he got his jab. His immune system was building up and starting to work towards it. So he got tested in the interim. That could give a confused result. The PCR can pick up the vaccine particles as a positive uh, the immune kills the vaccine particles, so you become negative. It's, just, it's, it's all a chemical reaction in the body. Uh, once you're vaccinated, your system begins to start preparing for this, which is exactly what Luke was saying. Hi, PJ. I hope we'll have a choice of what jab we want. I'll only take Oxford or Johnson & Johnson, says Marion. Why, Marion? Why? I'm wondering why. If, if I don't care. If Galvin's off-license develops a vaccine, I'm taking it. Uh, Cheltenham, Luke is so cheerful but to be honest I can see a problem on the horizon with Cheltenham coming up fines won't discourage the gambling community I think, and I am open to correction on this I think Cheltenham this year will be behind closed doors assuming it happens at all I think it'll be behind closed doors as all the horse racing is at the moment what scares me, says this comment is that if Michal Martin and other kids go on the junkets for Paddy's Day, then they'll have lost the people. Yeah, that's a separate issue. I, I really, I'm pushing that hard here. Uh, whatever they say about the necessity of that 
uh, trip and look, you can say what you want about it. It will look bad and Michal Martin will lose the room like that if he goes to Washington, D.C. He must do it this time over Skype. There's no other way. He'll lose the room like that. Dan says, I think in the future they'll make it compulsory for jabs, at least for new hires. And they'll probably try to make it for all jobs that you can't be segregating the workforce by safe and not safe. I think it's a pity because I value freedom, but I also think it's necessary in the end. There'll be war over this because some fundamentalist Christians don't agree with it and some other faiths are against it as well. I think also it'll accelerate the trend to work from home because that makes it a non-issue, but you can't do that in a factory or a building site. I think you should get a lawyer or a trade unionist on to talk about this. Well, you know what? We don't make any question of the fact that we have to be vaccinated for other things. So, you know, why would we vaccinated to... If you need to be vaccinated to come into the office, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I am. Sorry, I am. John is wondering about the people who won't take the vaccine because they don't want it. What will happen to them? Will they be treated as second-class citizens? Don't know. Don't know why anyone would not want to take something that could save their life. The Irish vaccine says uh, Johnny is called Pochine. <laughs> Special schools will reopen on Thursday, 11th of February. Reading from the uh, various news, they're all saying the same thing this morning, the various newspapers, that they will open on Thursday, 11th of February. Classes in mainstream schools for pupils with special needs will open on the 22nd of February. Agreement was reached by the DOE with the Forza and INTO trade unions representing special needs assistance. And then in a statement, INTO and Forza said it'll commence with a partial reopening of special schools, maybe 50% at first, and then a gradual reintroduction. Joanne Murphy was on with me a couple of weeks ago. Are you going to tell Bob yet, Joanne? Good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. Um, I'm I'm pacing myself because I, I don't know the details of, you know, when he specifically would be back yet. But I would have to say a wave of relief hit me yesterday. Yeah. A chink of light at the end of a really long, dark tunnel. I feel... Like we have been holding our breath for six months now. Yeah. And it was just like taking a long, deep breath again. It's not perfect. Um, you know, and obviously under the circumstances, it would have to be, um, you know, adjusted to what's going on around us at the moment in, in society. Um, but it is at least something of normality returning. Yeah. And I think... You know, I know it won't suit every child and I know not every child with special needs is catered for in this. Um, but hopefully it will come the 22nd. There will be more, you know, um, more of their needs will be catered to. But um, it is definitely a step in the right direction uh, and a welcome step in the right direction. So will you be hope- hopefully talking to the school? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, from what I read, like that they, the all schools will contact um, parents through email fairly shortly. So that's my understanding of it anyway, from what I read in the papers. So um, I would think so. You know, I mean, there's obviously a bit of planning around what has to go on mm. um, from each individual school. But I, I think as well as that, like, you know, our children have been so traumatized now um, and there's, we've lost so much ground on this. 
that we really need more um they will need more support going forward like they i think essentially really they'd have lost a year, you know a good year of their social skills daily living skills mm. education uh, I think we're going to need in more input from the department, more therapists. Um, I mean, I don't know is an extra year of school an option that we get that support there. Um, but I think the department does need to look at options now with yeah. parents and uh, you know all the stakeholders again to put in supports because you know there's a lot. Uh, I suppose there there'd be a lot of delayed reaction from children as well with this and. They're going back to school. It's not the normal school um, routine. You know, if it's going to be 50%, it's going to be different for them. There's going to be adjustment. And I think everybody from from pupils to, to staff to everyone needs support in that situation. Mm. It's a start, to, though, which is the most But it's definitely a start. All right. It's definitely a start and right. a very welcome one. But you, you won't tell them until you know more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we're 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 nearly there, you know. We're we're within sight of it now. Like Good. so, Good. if nothing else, we're all a bit. We're, you know, it has elevated our mood. You're a lot more positive than you were the last time we spoke. Oh, put it that way. Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. All right. A wave of relief. All right, Joanne. Listen, <laughs> thanks very much, and look after yourself, and look after him, and uh, hopefully soon he'll be able to go back to his routine. The last time I spoke to Joanne, she was lying effectively to Bob because if she tells him when he's going back and it doesn't happen, it leads to all sorts of meltdowns and anxiety and all that, which that's that doesn't help anybody, particularly Bob. Corks 96 FM. Liz, thank you for holding for me. Uh, so good news, I guess, but you'll wait and see what happens for Evie and Matthew, won't you? Good morning. Yes, I will. Um, I yeah, as you say, um, Evie has Down syndrome and Matthew is on the autistic spectrum. So, um, as Joanne um, so um, eloquently um, spoke about um, Bob's needs um, and how it's impacted them, it's it, it's going to be kind of six months really um, that they've been without any um, special education supports really, and I'm relieved for around half of the. 20,000 families um, that this impacts who have a child or children with um, special educational needs who um, there is some relief in sight and end in sight in that their children will be um, hopefully going back to school um, over gradually over the next month. Unfortunately, there's a, there is a lack of detail and both of my children are in mainstream. They're not in a special class in mainstream or okay. in a special school. So um, there's still no um, clarity about when they're when they will be able to go back to school. Mm. Um, so, and I, I suppose a lot of I don't know how familiar many of the listeners are um, with special educational needs, but um, for many children, um, in school support is is more ideal. They, it is quite physical. Um, they need help with. Um, fine motor and gross motor skills um that's you know obviously quite physical and requires one-to-one um attention and um individual resource um learning um and they and for children who are on the spectrum will have sensory needs which affects quite a lot of children with special educational needs they also need um movement breaks um and, and sensory breaks um so that is um, and for a lot of children, find it really hard to yeah. access the online learning and for parents to support that. You know, they're not qualified teachers, let alone special educational um, yeah. 
teachers. So, um, and often, you know, we're trying to be a parent to just love our kids. Yes. Um, and often we're also carers, you know, so there's a dual You're a carer, you're a parent, and you're a teacher, which is a, uh, trying to be a teacher, which is a combination of, of, of three things that are all three different skill sets. For the last few weeks in particular, and I guess the last few months, like how has it been for yourself and Evie and Matthew? Um, I suppose in terms of the kids, um, which I, I guess is our main focus, um, it's, it's really difficult. They, um, Evie has been very emotional. She's very social and she gets loads out of the social side of school and, and she's quite chatty. Um, so she has um, been quite traumatised, I would say, as, as Joanne used that word. Um, she's very, very emotional. Um, she's six, isn't she? Yeah, she, she's only six. She, she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand coronavirus. We, we call it the nasty cold. Um, um, mm. She doesn't understand why she can't hug other people. She's very affectionate. Um, she, we've had to uh, increase our fencing in our back garden because she escaped um, um, over Christmas into our neighbour's garden to get to their neighbour, whose um, little girl is the same age. Um, you know, she's a flight risk, so we're constantly on high vigilance with her she has to be watched one-on-one all the time um she um yeah she doesn't understand the lack of routine i think the lack of structure is really difficult for her um that school provides and that kind of reassurance and predictability that many children with special education or needs really really need um so she you know i i just after Christmas, when she thought she was going back to school, um, you know, she she was crying for about two days about would my husband go and get the Christmas tree back from the recycling? Um, you know, I think she was mm. trying to say, you know, I just want some normality. I don't understand the school at home or, you know, where am I on holiday? <laughs> so she's very emotional. And um, my son, who's on the autistic spectrum, um, he's, he's probably happier at home, to be honest with you, finds school quite stressful, the social side of it. But he's very, very anxious um, about um, the lack of routine and the lack of predictability and the uncertainty. So um, we have held off trying to say anything to them because, mm. you know, it has flip-flopped so much. Um, it's and and where is Matthew them. on the spectrum, Liz, in, in terms of his understanding of where we all are? Um, so he's, he's um, I would say, you know, I, I don't like using these terms, but he would probably be classified as having kind of very high-functioning yeah. autism. Um, so he understands everything, you know, he's able to read the newspapers and he, he listens. So, um, you know, he's kind of much more attuned so, um, to the politics of the situation, I suppose, and the, and, and the details. So, you know, it, it, it's hard to shield him from that because he, he will obviously pick up on, on all yeah. of that. No, the reason um, I ask is, and my own son's on the spectrum, so I, I, okay, I, I, I respect yeah, yeah. your view that you know, the, the term high functioning, I, I, hate, I hate it too. But yeah. for, some, for some kids on the spectrum, as you well know, they take in more than others and their memory will scare you at, at the most oh, inopportune yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. And something that Absolutely. you think they've missed, they haven't. Yes, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, I mean, as, as you know, um, he's very sensitive um, and things that it's very hard for him to tell us what he is does have anxiety about um, mm. but definitely lack of um, predictability um, makes him feel very unsafe and, and, yeah. Yeah, and you, you know we've, we've had a lot more amalgams for sure yeah. and we will have to work a lot harder to provide that kind of structure ourselves and, and, and kind of motivate us to engage in work so I mean I suppose what I would say in terms of myself um you know, there's, there's kind of probably about um, five or six staff involved with each child in school. 
Um, so that's kind of 12 overall. And as I was saying, you're trying to provide three different, two or four different roles as, as one parent. You know, my, my husband's working. Unfortunately, mm. I'm not working at the moment. Who I doing the work of 12 people? Um, but, um, you know, I just find personally as a, um, as a mom, I find it overwhelming. And we don't have to, you know, we don't have complex medical needs. And my heart goes out to parents who are de- in that situation um, because there is, you know, Frankly, school is a respite um, for many parents um, of children with special educational needs. Um, you know, we need we need just a breather, five seconds. Who's been taking care of you? You're doing the, the work of arguably doing the work of twelve people. Like, who's taking care of you? Um, well, I, I do get a lot of support from my um, fellow moms and parents in the in the same position. We we try and support each other. It has to be very remotely at the moment. My husband is fantastic, um, despite his job. He he really does try and help out. Um, but that, I think you know, as you know, PJ, um, you it's pretty much we we're pretty much that's it. You know, my family yeah. live in the UK, so I can't I can't draw on them. Um, our therapies. Stopped. My my daughter was um, discharged from early intervention in March um, because they said, you know, well, there's a pandemic now. There's no point. <laughs> so, and Matthew hasn't had any services um, from from the ASD services. Um, so, um, and and this is on the back of, you know, as you were probably well aware, the complete underfunding of oh, um, yeah. special education in schools. You know, there's been twice now where we've had to fight to get Matthew's access. Um, any access to um, a um, SNA in school, um, and you know, without that, he is, you know, his anxiety. He just cannot function in school, and it's, you know, it's appalling that as parents, you know, I'm having to take a break now from doing their ed- education with them this morning um, to advocate on their behalf. That's another role that we uh, find ourselves in, um, but I will gladly do that um, because. You know, I just think um, the problem with the discussions thus far with um, the Department of Education and the unions, and I, I'm a total passionate supporter of trade unions, um, and that we need to keep our, our school staff stay, safe is is the lack of any parents' voice there, that we mm. have no power, um, we are simply not heard. And I think it says a lot about um, how we... Um, how we value people with disabilities. Well, well, the, clock is, the clock is going to catch me, Liz. But it, 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 okay. it no, no, okay. It does. Co- it does bring up something that I've been almost parroting for the last couple of weeks. Nothing mm. about us without us. Yeah, absolutely. There you yeah. go. I leave it there for today. We will talk again. Good luck with the two lads, with Evie, and with Matthew. Lovely to talk to you, Liz Kite. The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your two one one Toyota. See LehanMotors.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Corks ninety six FM. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The number. The text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Quick reminder before we move on to join Trevor Welsh at 96fm.ie this Saturday and every Saturday for Premier League Live exclusively online and powered by TalkSport. Best way to do it, download the app 
onto your phone and look into other streams and you will see the logo there. This Saturday, Trevor has Aston Villa against Arsenal at half 12, Newcastle against Southampton at 3, Fulham v West Ham at 5.30 and Manchester United versus Everton at 8pm. It's the Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass and listen in Saturday on the Quark's 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie. I have a little bit of an earworm for you to brighten up what is a dull old day. Look out at that. Would you take one look out at that? It is chucking it down again on top of spring me backside, but let's not even go back there. No, I have a little bit of a um, little bit of an earworm for you. Uh, I promise you, you'll be singing it again yourself for the rest of the day. Uh, just a bit of fun. Just a bit of fun. 1850 Text to WhatsApp 083 396 email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour this morning, then do remember to get our podcast in the afternoon, usually ready sometime between 2 and 3. Podcast of the full show. You'll get it on Twitter first. We put the link up there, and then it goes on all your various platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app. We'll have that for you uh, later on. This afternoon, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. My next guest is a clinical psychologist, and I've been waiting to speak with him for a little while because we've talked about the and there will be a mental health crisis in the wake of all of this, and there is already a mental health crisis alongside and running in parallel with the COVID nineteen lockdown. But that's not where I want to focus today because I think, to be fair to most of us, we'll come through this with our mental health intact. We won't, thankfully, have to deal with long-term damage to our mental health. Most of us are relatively tough. Our health, physical and mental, is fairly robust. But it's those people, and I include myself in this, and Terry and Fergal and pretty much everyone here on the top floor at at 96FM, those of us who are relatively tough are finding this the hardest lockdown of all. And I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the fact that the weather is crap and you can't go out, even if you wanted to go out for that walk in your 5K or run or cycle in your 5K. What's the point of going out in that? Even last night I did something simple like like take a bin out the back garden and had to take change my shoes afterwards because the bloody back garden is waterlogged. And that's another, that's a, just a downer. And you get up and you, you look out every morning and, and with today being Groundhog Day, it's, it's very, very appropriate. Every day is the same. You go home on Friday and you get up and the only difference between Friday and Saturday is you're not going to work. And that can start to drill into the back of your head and you get flat. And flat is the best description of it. And I think, Dr. Eddie Murphy, um, there's thousands of us feeling like that at the moment. There's nothing actually wrong with us. We just feel yuck and it's getting harder. Good morning. Good morning, DJ. Well, first of all, sorry to keep you waiting. <laughs> if you've been late to speak to me for a long time, um, but I'm delighted to talk to you and your listeners today. And 
really uh, maybe look at some of this. Um, I not I don't buy the whole being strong and being weak around our mental health because I think we're uh, it's how it's currently um, how the feelings of being worn down or worn out, yoke, uh, fed up, irritated, frustrated, uh, angry, sad, weepy, um, uh, all of these feelings. Well, the situation you see is not normal. But these feelings are normal, and it's a universal. It's a human response. It's a stress response. And what normally we face adversity in our lives, there's a sort of uh, we can see the horizon, and we're not quite there seeing the horizon yet on this one. But it's prolonged. It's the prolonged effect of it, and because of that prolonged effect, these uh, negative emotions are normal. Um, but what I would think, too, is often it's how we talk about COVID. Sometimes it's like a stream. Like, I think, like, take it like the River Lee or something. And it's just, even though that's not a negative thing, but you, you're jumping into this narrative stream of COVID. And I think it's up to people then to maybe jump out of that and really actively say, well, we're going to focus on things where COVID isn't. Yeah. COVID isn't with uh, kindness. It isn't with friendships. It isn't with talk and so on and even if you just acknowledge it but then say look there's enough of that I'm going to talk about something different today and to start, start shifting our thinking away because one of the things is well our area of control what we can control and what we're concerned about yeah. huge the longer we spend in our areas of concern I know for example I've done a number of talks I do talks of this like well-being in strange times it's a talk for different community groups or organisations or whatever, around um, how to sustain our well-being through these strange times. And that's, that's what hopefully that we'll get to some of that today. Yeah. There's a certain amount of... Saturday morning is the same as Friday. Sunday morning is the same as Monday. And it all becomes kind of very samey. And it's hard to motivate yourself sometimes to even get out of the bed. Yeah, I think that's true, and that's why the whole area of um, the Keep Well, the Healthy Ireland have a Keep Well campaign. They talk about this whole area of, of structuring, like getting up, even getting dressed, like uh, even later on today, getting dressed back in for bed, because you're cueing your body that there's like you're keeping these routines and cueing your body that now is time for up, now is time for. Uh, uh, getting ready for bed because otherwise it does move into that sameness and then during that day it's around having no this doesn't happen every day for for myself or mm. having small goals you know that what, what's that goal if it is getting that bin out that you talked about or if it's going for a walk or and I think this is the this is the for people that have been are able to go out and and, and walk I think it's um. Uh, near the sea, there's really a lot of evidence base now for the healing power of nature and getting out into that, even though I know that the weather's not great, but still getting that getting out can be really powerful and even, here's another thing uh, Sport Ireland and Go Green Roots if you watch just nature-based program or something like that, you actually get that soothing effect as well That's a good point actually and there's loads of Attenborough documentaries on all the various platforms now and I did watch something the other day uh, and it cheered me up looking at animals and birds and that man's brilliance it just cheered me up 
Do you know? Yeah, but there's a sort of soothing part. I think if you if you're out in this, it's called green ecotherapy, or I, I call it the power of the green and the power of the blue. The power of the green is of being forest fields, and blue is being water near any river, lake, or, or the sea. And I, I'm stuck in the Midlands up in Leash, so I, the, the, for us, it's the rivers and lakes. Um, but there's, it's incredibly, and uh, 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 we just got a pet during a uh, dog, a uh, little cocker spaniel, last year. And um, uh, it just it's transformed, like I suppose it's brought in that routine. He needs to get out, I need to get out and stuff like that, you know. Is there something in that you you say you got a little a little cocker and they're gorgeous little dogs? What has gotten me, and I've been saying this very much, what has gotten me through an awful lot of the difficult time is this: is my dogs and my cats. Just well, the, the, they don't give a damn about it, and that's great. Like you know, purely in the moment, because that's really yeah. if you look at human nature. Like, and even there around September time, like I would no, I normally. I'm more a warrior than and my mood dips. Um, but my mood dipped around September and I was like trying to look back at this uh, and I identified that I was looking backwards on all the things I missed and looking forward on all the things and, but I wasn't in the moment. And if you look at your, your dog or your, your pets, they're purely in the moment. They're they're able to just be in that moment and they're, I'm not, they're, they're they don't have a huge amount of needs like food and walks and and play and connection and love and yeah. but that's it's not what we all need in a way yeah. like um, work rest and play and yeah. I know a lot of people too their struggles are associated with being out of work yes and financial concerns and uh, these these are these are realities that the schools parents worry about the kids um, parents like we're this is not homeschooling let's be honest about it it's emergency yeah. education yeah. it's like homeschooling is something that you do by choice and it's hard. It's, it's, yeah, it is, and I think we need to pull back to a little bit around, like move move away from perfectionism. Um, I, you know, you often hear your kids are really extremely motivated. Like fair play to them, like they're doing their music lessons, they're getting out and they're running two k a day, and they're going through their curriculum. And um, in my house, it's like trying to uh, what's it called it keep them at some level on treading water in terms of their activities. Yeah. And uh, their school, their school activities, but they're missing. Kids are missing, you know, playing Gaelic or soccer or whatever. They're missing their physical. And a lot of parents, Eddie, are struggling with that, and they've spoken to me about it. That all of the ga is off, the soccer is off, the kids have nothing to do. They're not even going to school. They're trying to do their best at home, and the kids feel, or the parents rather, feel guilty about that. Yeah, well, they struggle with it because. uh, they know that the support, you probably hear that dog now, um, but they, 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 they know the support that they get from uh, just pe- kids need to mix with peers, their yeah. peers, and teenagers. So this lockdown is, it, no matter what age and stage, um, it, it, whether you're working and unemployed, whether you're an older person worried about getting COVID, whether you're, you know, that's, they're the, the whole areas that, you're, that people are concerned about. <laughs> oh, I've one that does the same thing when they feel like it. I wouldn't worry about it anyway. Keep going. Other people are people working from home with months, and 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 they're okay working from home, but they miss the work family. They miss 
the workplace and they can't wait to yeah. get back into the office but and they yet they, they know it's not safe. What's interesting is the data on that. Uh, about 30% of people um, love this home working, not being, uh, not working, not going in every day and getting caught up in commutes and that. About 30% of people miss that whole office environment, not everybody. And I think when we come back to work and normal, and that's the other thing, is that when we come back to that, we there will be a blended work. You know, it'll be three-day, two-day, four-day, one-day type thing. Um, because uh, I think that the people re- realise that you don't necessarily... You know, people can be very productive uh, for home, but also for some some jobs, you need that teamwork and creativity, communication, and that's some of the things that remote working is a challenge, more a challenge mm. for. Yeah, like um, we're always, I suppose, checking ourselves here and realizing we're we're lucky we we've kept working throughout this, and yeah. many of many of our colleagues haven't seen them for months because they're all working offsite. But 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 then there's people who've just been redundant. They're on pup and they were back in and back out and back in and back out. That must play very heavily on your mind. Yeah, I think well, that's why not. Like uh, we think of their, you know our sense of self, safety, our, our secure net, our role, it, you know, work uh, um, provides so much things. Like, obviously, for, uh, I mean, I've been, we, I work in the HSC, I'm a psychologist in the HSC, so we've been busier than ever. Like, some people are, and I know people that are, are not working would love to be in work, and, and it's a huge strain, like a burden, emotional, financial, uh, psychological burden, uh, that absence of uh, that structure that work gives and stuff like that and particularly people in the hospitality industry and it's so challenging now look we're we're probably I mean it's really important that we maintain like we're the, the, we've been through this third wave we're still in, in the hospital side of the third wave it's still as high as ever although it's dropping off in the community we can start taking control of the, you know in terms of mixing physical distancing, wearing our masks, all the things that we need to know, like basically is not congregating in settings. These are just to try and keep ourselves well to to, to that point that our, the vaccinations will come. And and they there's a, I suppose, a sense of, um, you, you know, if, if I, I'm very clear in my own head anyway, that if vaccinations came, it's a supply issue, but if the supply came, the health practitioners and the pharmacists, GPs, the HSC would have no problem in terms of the distribution of vaccines going out because any any vaccine that comes in gets goes out as as um, as smooth as it can. But really, what I'm saying is um, uh, the health family in Ireland would not have no no problem putting the shoulder to the wheel if yeah. the vaccinations come in to to, to get the, get us out of this crisis. Yeah. And they have been in a way they have worked, you know, in terms of. Right through in the in the hospital side and the, and the community side and people in nursing homes where there's been lots of struggles in both private and public nursing homes, significant uh, must compliment you know and and all those uh, those workers but and there's exhaustion. It's funny because they not funny but it's just sorry that's a bad expression. That's okay. But it's um it, it there's a level of such like fatigue and exhaustion in one group and another group who want to go in and actually go back to work. It's, it's sort of the paradox yeah. of this uh, pandemic. Eddie, just had a call on the line here, which is 
It's a, it's a valid point and it's one where, I mean, a lot of our listeners to this program are parents, particularly young parents. So we talk a lot about parents and children, like we've just talked about with you. But this caller says, look, what about people either living on their own or couples with no children? I hear all the time about issues to do with children and fair enough, they exist. But what about the rest of us, particularly people who aren't working from home, who are trying to exist on a PUP or, or older people? separated from families or estranged from families how do how do they they are really struggling at the moment yeah well, what i hear there is um the, this uh loneliness like seems yes. to be, um and like if, if we if you think about um when you're hungry you get that signal to eat and when we're thirsty we get that signal to to drink but when we're lonely that's our human signal to connect with somebody and this whole pandemic for is is about limiting our connections and we're a social species we need to connect so this loneliness now there are uh, excellent groups out there Cork County Council would have community calls for people yes. that are living uh, in, uh, in alone and that they can do shopping they can do if they're um, cocooning or they, they, which is a word that people don't like um, but fundamentally it's about keeping yourself safe but Cork County Council have that community call uh, alone the National Charity for Loneliness, um, Samaritans. Uh, and it'd be interesting, people think Samaritans as a suicide crisis, which it is. But actually, a lot of people are in the Samaritans because they're lonely. Yeah. And the, the Samaritan Day, is, and there's always a Samaritan, they are a brilliant organisation. Um, and then it's just that piece of being at home. Like I maybe today at lunchtime, when you're finished listening to that show and you don't want to listen to the news, switch it off because... Um, you just can't, you're going to, if something happens with COVID, don't believe me, you're going to, you'll hear about it, right? Yeah. It's actually just maybe pick up that phone and ring somebody and connect with somebody that you haven't spoken to for, for a while. Because when, when we're in that, that lonely phase, actually our thinking is changes. Sometimes we, uh, we can get into this, uh, people can get into this thinking that, well, nobody's bothered about me. Why should I be bothered about them? Or, there's a sort of type of thinking style that comes at loneliness, yeah. um, and that sort of amplifies it, and also can lead us down maybe to potentially to home drinking or some yeah. food. You, you, like you start to, don't you? You, if you are feeling lonely, what sometimes happens is you start to think, well, it must be my fault. Nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody, nobody likes me. Yeah. It must be my no. fault. I'm on my own. I would distinguish the difference in feeling lonely and loneliness. Oh, go, go down there, please, yes. So feeling lonely can be like a, a short period of time, but profound loneliness, like being a, having loneliness is corrosive. Actually, I've done a good bit of research on this because I was on the National Loneliness Task Force before um, COVID arrived, and we looked at it. The loneliness was identified to be the equivalent to smoking 16, 15 cigarettes a day. It shortened their life by a number of years. It increased the levels of cancer, heart disease, um, depression, mental health is- issues. Because loneliness actually sets off a stress response, an inflammation response. And because of that, it triggers off these other health type issues. So that's why I'd be very um, uh, advocate to ask people if they're feeling lonely to maybe come out of the mindset and reach out. And if you're in that space that you uh, uh, to connect with somebody that you haven't connected with for a while 
or in your you know in your neighborhood or whatever that you can or your community that you might identify someone that you think may not have that as much human connection. Now here's the thing: there's some people that are very happy on their own. That's and that's fine. Yes. But we're not talking about that that part the individual. That's your listener come in and said, "What about those people that um, have less maybe interactivity going on and and and, and they're feeling." Uh, long periods of loneliness and uh, that's the concern that they have raised. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Yeah, just them and the four walls and the 5K. Well, yeah, but let's get out into that 5K. Let's get out into that. There's, you know, the phrase, I always think that phrase is, there's no such thing as bad weather, it's bad clothing. <laughs> I, person, know, I personally hate that, but that's just me. <laughs> you hate that phrase, is it? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, if you think about the quality of our rain gear now, the quality of our clothing, like your quality, I look at, if you look around and look at people that are, are mobile, like mobility is a huge thing. Like if you look at people that are, uh, the older people that are walking, they're walking, but they've, they haven't, they've always walked. That's what the thing I know is. Like they're if they're engaged in walking, they're outdoors. They've always walked. They've walked in all weathers, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and probably uh, it's just getting the good, good, good quality. Bless my father, he's eighty-six, so he is he still smokes. Don't know how he does that, but there you go. And mm. uh, someone said he got the genetic. Uh, he won a, a lottery on the on the smoking and the age factor because normally, but he he walks and he's always walked and. Um, I think if that physical activity, mobility, keep moving, is something that's that's. And you see, here's the thing: it's it's a win. Movement is the best medicine. If you work, if you think of people with arthritis, or mm. arthritis Ireland would say movement is the best medicine. Um, nature is the best healer. Being out in nature. Now, I can't. I'm not saying if a person's depressed that they just go out in nature and it'll lift. That's a very different thing. Then yes. they need to be professional help with their GP, mental health services, and up and down the country and in Cork, mental health services are ongoing all the time with yeah. the community mental health teams and um, the uh, Department of Psychiatry, you know, all that. And uh, there's counselling services. So if uh, so, try and connect and reach out. I mean, those are really important messages. Yeah, you. I'll finish up by, by talking about you. You mentioned, I think, earlier on, you know, something to to build for, goals to build for, and it's been 
It's a struggle lately with all the cacophony around you of this is great, but that's not so great. And what's the summer going to be like? And will we will we get to live a bit more? Will we get out of the 5K? All these things, they mix up in your head uh, and, and it turns into a complete mess. Have, have you some way that we can unravel that, Eddie, when it does get on top of us? I think this is... Um this is my take, and I know when I do talks for different organisations or groups, and you contact me through my website if you're interested in that, but I think you go to where COVID isn't. Go to movies, go to music, go to uh, nature, go to uh, writing, go to relationships. Go to, that's a, You go to where COVID isn't. It's funny, actually. That's that's very good. I one thing I've been doing since the start is I I built a huge Spotify playlist for myself, and right. I put it on for hours on end, hours yeah. on end, and it yeah. does help. Yeah, or yeah, I think that's good. I I I, I look at some. It lifts. It, it can connect us with stuff. I, uh, so I think music is a you know, but people have their own. Mm. Books, movies, yeah. But that's where COVID isn't. Yes, yes. Yeah. But the five K is is hurting people, and 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 that's that can't be overstressed. It, it, we know it's necessary, but it but it is hurting people. Well, is it? The, yeah. Well, it, if it was ten K, with that, it's the the whole COVID, the whole situation is hurting people. Yeah. Yeah. Five K maybe there's something where someone might focus on. But it's actually the whole situation that's hurting people. Mm. But this is the, I mean, we're in the, I think, the third quarter or whatever. We're, you know, we're in the last, in a, in a football match now, we're in the last 15 minutes. So we've got to hold, we've got to, we've got to try and sustain, like if you've sustained yourself and your family and you've kept yourself safe and so, you know, tr- just maintain that peace yeah. and try and uh, maintain your own sense of safety. And, and that's something about rather good our concern about COVID. Let's keep our concern about our safety, and our safety is about this distancing and and uh, the social distancing. Because the more likely that we're engaged in social distancing, then the less likely we're going to have to worry about being caught, getting COVID. Okay, listen. Thank you very much uh, for your time today, Eddie. Some good things to think about. That's Dr. Eddie Murphy, a clinical psychologist. What what is the website, Eddie? Uh, it's DrEddieMurphy.ie DrEddieMurphy.ie You can have a look at his website. Thank you, Eddie. 1850 Yeah, go to where COVID isn't. I love that. Go to music. Go to a book. Go to the telly. Not the news. Go for a walk. Um, go, go as far as you can. Go to where COVID isn't. There is somewhere in your life, somewhere in your house, somewhere in your circle, even though it's very small, where COVID isn't. And go there. 1850-715-996. Every Sunday, I love this. Every Sunday, I put on good clothes, a book, a takeaway breakfast or brunch, I drive and collect it in the car, go to the water's edge and eat it. That makes it a Sunday. I think all these things are important. Even putting on makeup if you're not going to see anyone or if you're going on Zoom. But you must do it yourself. It's not on anyone else to do it for you. Yeah. I think a big part of the problem is when you go out walking, there's people on top of you, not wearing masks, tapping you for money. I love walking, but I'm beginning to dread it. 
I don't like going too far out in the country because I don't like being on my own in case you come across someone or you got into trouble. Jerry says we have don't have a dedicated senior cabinet minister for mental health, so it's not taken seriously enough. We have ministers for everything else, and yes, it should be separate from the Minister for Health. But thank you for that, Eddie Murphy. Dr. Eddie Murphy.ie is his website. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. What does Valentine's Day this year look like? Might be a couple of weeks away, but we got to start thinking about those pre- Need your help after midday on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. I said I'd give you a little bit of an earworm to cheer you up for the rest of the day, and I will, I promise, uh, before. 11 o'clock. It's very funny. But if you remember Twink, do you remember Twink years ago with Zip up your Mickey? And how the, the phone message went viral. Zip up your Mickey! I promise you, it has turned into an earworm. And it'll be in your head for the rest of the day and you'll hate me for it. I'll do that before 11. 1850-715-996. But talk about being fed up about things. Monica, good morning. Hello, Monica. Oh, hiya. Good morning. Sorry. Hi, PJ. Good morning. <laughs> How are you doing? All something right. that we often talk about on the programme and something about the, 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 the council, the city council actually has a committee that talk about it from time to time. Oh, What's wow. Well, yeah, I know. What's on your mind? Oh, my goodness. So I'm just sick and tired of the amount of dog poop on the footpath. Yeah. It's just absolutely ridiculous and I'm so sorry yesterday I was just literally so so enraged because I went for a walk and within like I think 500 meters wasn't even a kilometer I saw three lots of dog poop and it was just so bad one of the I took a picture I know it's disgusting but it was just disgusting like it's so ridiculous I don't know why people I love dogs you know but I don't own a a dog but if dogs are hard work so if you have a dog you need to be responsible because it's very, very, it's, it's very, very harmful to leave those things around, like subconsciously because of all these. Yeah, what I do now, yeah, I have just one specific shoe that I wear because I'm just worried that there's going to be dog poop all of my shoes. Yeah, yeah, and it'll catch you when you're not looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just so bad. Like people need to understand that it's not just disgusting to look at. It's actually it could be harmful as well. You know, because mm. I see everyone going on a walk women are push, pushing their buggies and things like that. What if you get that on uh, on the on the wheels and then you take that home and then you pass it on and a, a child is crawling, you know? Mm. It could actually be very dangerous. Like, has any heard of, like, you know, um, Toxocarios? And yes, Toxocaricanus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it could be harmful. And it's horrible. Yeah, so people really need to just cop on pet owners. They really, really, really need to be responsible. Mm. They need to... Sorry. Yeah. Have, you, have you noticed it worse because we're all stuck to this 5k around our, our homes that there's so many do- I've never seen so many dogs out like the Chelsea, like like the Battersea dogs home up and down my my road these days dogs that were never walked were being dragged out 
yeah, just to give people then, something to do. <laughs> that has true. And lots of people are getting dogs now. Like, I'm seeing lots of puppies around, which is absolutely okay. We all need, I'm even considering getting a pet, but you know, you have to weigh your pros and cons. Like, these pets are quite, they are hard work. So, but I think with the lockdown and all, we don't really have much to do. And lots of people are going, some people go on walks like three times a day mm. and they took the dog out as well. It's less when we're all back, you know, um, uh, out of lockdown. But whenever lockdown is on, it's just, uh, it's just an issue. And it's it's so bad. It's yeah. so, so bad. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that the days will get brighter soon and people will be able to go out for a stroll and... Yeah. You're calling, I think, on dog owners to just, you know, do what you need to do. Pick yes. up after the dog. Do, do, do. If you if you have a dog, then you need to be responsible and do the right thing. You can't put other people, and even you could also be at risk of this uh, infection as well. So mm. we just need to behave ourselves. Who I feel most sorry for, and I remember speaking to a, a woman on the phone here, that's a couple of years ago now, Monica, she's in a wheelchair. Oh, oh, it's all goodness oh my yeah. goodness oh my goodness. I don't even need to tell you do I yeah oh, oh. just even thinking about that now that that is terrible you know mm. so things like that things like that yeah. <sighs> there's no there's no amount of hand sanitizer will make up for that like definitely not like imagine having that on your hand it's smelly it's yeah. disgusting and then it could actually could potentially lead to blindness yeah. you know Yeah, yeah, so please, uh, whoever is listening, if you do have a dog or if you're considering getting a dog, think of the responsibility that you owe to yourself, the dog, and to your community as well to just be a responsible pet owner. Take take a bag and pick the blasted thing up and take it home. It doesn't take much effort. Simple as that. Exactly. All right, listen, Monica, good to talk to you. 1850-715-996, take a bag, pick it up, Put it in the bag, not the bag, and dump the bag. What could be so simple? What could be so simple? But they don't. They don't. And I'll tell you one thing. You know them small little dogs? You know them? Not, not, no, no. Not, not your average size dog, your medium size. Not them. Like, I have two of those little fellas. No, these little small fellas. You know them little small little... Actually, I must talk with them one day. These small things, they're bigger on the inside. They can do a poo the size of themselves. They can do a poo that they fell in it that never come out. And yet, of course, the owner toddles on home and leaves little steaming mound on the footpath while little scrappy puppy. 1850-715-996. Mind you, don't, don't get me started on those small dogs. My, those really, really small dogs, those teacup dogs, those handbag dogs, which you see more and more people, out, and, they're, and they're very popular, these little tiny, 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 tiny dogs. My daughter is a veterinary nurse, and one of her colleagues um, showed us a photograph recently, or put a photograph to Instagram of those dogs, you know, those tiny, 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 tiny dogs. Please don't support that. I, I'll get to it another day. But don't. 1850-715-996. Speaking of dogs, would you put socks on your dog? <laughs> I'm not. I haven't noticed, haven't taken anything in my coffee this morning. Would you put socks on your dog? I'll be talking to someone who did 
very, very soon. Do you want your earworm now? All right. Here's your earworm. You won't be able to get this out of your head for the rest of the day. I don't know who these lads are, where they're from. I don't know the first thing about them. But they've taken Twink's old zip up your Mickey and they've made a song out of it. It'll be in your head for the rest of the day. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Songlines is a series of live concerts underway from the White Horse and Balancholic. There's 17 Irish acts in total playing live stream concerts with further details on ticketing available from the venue's website whitehorse.ie Access all areas. Summarise from Fall is an independent community of songwriters and musicians that bring together artists and vocalists such as Cork's John Black, Rowan, Anna Mitchell, Marlene Enright and others. They've just released their new track, Funny Time of Year, taken from a debut album due out on February 26. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696. On Cork's 96FM. Dylan's Cross, Ballyhoo Road, out towards Duns and Ballyvalan. Dog poo, a disgrace. That's always a problem actually out around there. That's where the woman rang me a few years ago having been out in her wheelchair and coming home. Yeah, yeah. Up around there it came from. PJ, I have a question, says Tony. With all the trolleys outside the supermarket, why don't the supermarkets have an attendant cleaning them down for people? Or what about one of those industrial steamer machines we've been seeing used in other countries or other industries? Could they not use it? The blasted virus is spreading when we don't keep things clean. The shops did have someone doing that back at the beginning of the pandemic, but there's not much of it going on now. Maybe they're relying on people to clean it down themselves. You know that old thing, personal responsibility. We will put up the big bottle of spray. We will put up the big roll of molly roll. We'll even give you some gloves. Clean your own trolley, Tony. Before you go into Tesco, they leave the cloth, they leave the spray, Clean your own trolley. Do you want to get someone to wipe your bottom for you as well? I'm sorry, but that's just... 1850 Rachel collected two big bags of rubbish from Upper Kilmoney Road in Carrigaline last week. Uh, 20 to 30% of it was dog poo, already in a bag, but just discarded. Pick it up, put it in the bag, and then chuck it away. Oh, please. 1850-715-996. No, Tony, I'm sorry. The, super, no, the supermarkets should provide a spray gun. They should provide roll. And they should provide that kind of thing. But there is no need for someone to be cleaning the trolley for you. 
clean your own trolley down with a rag and disinfectant. Do you know? Someone wants to know, what you put in your coffee this morning? Lockdown is having a profound effect on you. What? Because I said someone should actually do something that's their own personal responsibility, like pick up their own dog's poo or clean down their own shopping trolley? Like wash your own hands? Give over. 1857 I know, I know, I know, I know. And I've just had one of those mornings, and I have many of those mornings, because I can't understand how dependent we've become on other people to do stuff for us. Aileen, good morning to you. Hi, PJ, how are you? Socks on the dog, explain. Um, well, I was looking after my nieces and nephews yesterday morning for my sister, and I was given a list of what to do and what not to do. And I had to boil the kettle before 11 o'clock. I had to make no noise, um, and I had everything under control until um, my dog, he decided to do 100 laps of the kitchen. Oh, and what was going on that you had to be so quiet? The My two nieces were in class, um, right. and their speaker was on. Noise. There was supposed to be no noise. So right. I had to think fast. Right. What kind of a dog have you? Uh, he's a cross between a Labrador and a sheepdog. Okay, so he's a decent-sized dog. He is, yeah. With decent-sized feet. <laughs> More or less, yeah. <laughs> so what you do? Uh, I was and I went into my eight-year-old niece's um, sock drawer and I got four socks and I put them on him. <laughs> and he left them on and it was like pissed in after that. But did he not slip around on the floor? No, no, he took no notice. <laughs> He's used to it. Right. And you had to boil the kettle before 11 o'clock? Right. Yeah, so they're the, the kind of things that you have to use to know. <laughs> There's a picture on Twitter, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I sent it on Snapchat yesterday morning to a few of my friends and they all snapped back and they said, you should put that viral. Um, <laughs> so it was it was good to get a smile on people's faces. Oh, it's just gas, just gas, but it was... Because this was because this Zoom class couldn't be, couldn't be interrupted. No, no, it couldn't, because everyone else in the class then they could hear it. You no, know, and it would just, it would just be a distraction. <laughs> I wonder has anybody else had mad ideas like that to keep the noise down while you're on Zoom? Oh, I'd say so. There, there's a lot of stories now that could be told. <laughs> well, that's the best one. We've got the picture on Twitter. Aileen, thank you very much. No problem. What's the dog's name? What's the dog's name? Bailey. Bailey. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Can anybody beat that? Thanks very much, Aileen. Bailey. Now, he's a decent-sized dog with decent-sized paws, and there'd be decent-sized claws attached to those decent-sized paws. So he'd make a bit of noise if he was clomping around the kitchen. To be fair, he would. So (laughs) she went upstairs, and she got socks out of the drawer and she put socks on the dog to keep him quiet. Can you beat that? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Coming up, do you ever wonder what happened after all those buzzards were found dead down in West Cork? It was a while back now 
It was horrible. Farmer came across a load of dead buzzards out on his land, and it turned out they'd all been poisoned. A nasty, nasty attack. It's being investigated. The investigation has gotten to a certain point, but isn't getting any further. We catch up in just a couple of minutes because we have got a bit of an update on it. But you will remember the story down around Timaleague Way in during 2019. Uh, we had that problem with a load of dead buzzards. And buzzards are a protected species. So apart from being cruel, uh, they are protected. You can't do that. And whoever did it, did it with malice aforethought as well. We'll hear more about that in just a second. Just a question on the guards, says this message. Are they supposed to social distance like everybody else? If so, how come I passed a checkpoint with no one on the road, but all sitting in one car and the other car empty? Is it one rule for one or different for the other? They operate... As far as we know and have been able to ascertain, they operate in what's called a cell system, like a pod, basically. So if guards are out doing checkpoint duty or anything like that, they operate on a cell or a pod. For example, generally speaking, a squad car is occupied by the same couple of guards all the time. Uh, and they operate like, like like a group. The same, we think, with paramedics. Just as from what we can ascertain, paramedics are the same. They, they travel in groups. The so- soldiers are the same. They travel in groups because, obviously, you can't guard the public properly if everyone's got to stand six feet apart. So there, there is a little bit of an arrangement there for them. But it's an arrangement. It's not one rule for them and one rule for you. Some people have to stand closer together. But that's the answer as far as we can ascertain. Tammy has sent us a picture of her son, Andrew. Uh, Andrew has the family dog, Sash. <laughs> and Sash has a Facebook, a face mask on to keep her quiet. There's a beautiful picture going up now of the dog with the, with the, uh, with the socks on. Bailey with the socks. Gorgeous dog. Beautiful, beautiful creature. But you can see why the tiles that he's sitting on would be noisy if he was deciding to potter around the kitchen endlessly while you were trying to do a, a Zoom call. James then says, now that that dog has socks... All the other dog walkers should put nappies on their dogs. Then we'd have no problem with the footpaths. Yeah, thinking, you're thinking in a roundabout way, good man. 1850 the number, the text or WhatsApp, 083 396 The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, remember, you'll get the podcast in mid-afternoon. Uh, on first of all on Twitter, watch Twitter and you'll see the link go up or indeed it goes to all the various uh, podcast platforms that you choose to follow including the Cork's 96FM app. So if that's how you listen to us in the first place on the app on your phone, just a section on the phone with podcasts or a section on the app with podcasts and you'll find us coming up there in the middle of the afternoon if you missed anything uh, throughout the course of the morning. 1850-715-996 That story to do with buzzards and I'm going back now to a report in the Southern Star uh, from many many months back a reward of 5,000 euro was being offered for information leading to the prosecution of people responsible for the deliberate poisoning of 23 buzzards in West Cork and that reward was put up by the Amica project and I've been talking to a member of that project TJ 
TJ, I'll, I'll begin by asking you to refresh our minds as to the story of the buzzards. What happened and when? Yeah, happy to do that, PJ. Um, so cast your mind back to December 2019. Uh, there's a farmer out walking his land somewhere out near Timaleague, and he comes across a dead bird, which he realizes pretty quickly is a, is a buzzard. And that's a sad sight for him because, to begin with, they're a beautiful bird, and secondly, because the farmer knows full well that they're protected, so it's unusual to come across them in that way. So he's not happy to see this, but he keeps walking, and then to his surprise, he finds another dead buzzard, and then another, and yet another. And in total, he finds 11 dead buzzards on his walk, which is pretty shocking to him. He's never seen the like this before. Yeah. He figures it can't possibly be a natural occurrence, so he calls the National Parks and Wildlife Service, and of course, that's exactly the right thing to do. Um, the National Parks and Wildlife Service guys pay a visit to him. They walk around some more, and to everybody's horror, they find another 12 dead buzzards on top of the original 11. So they take all of these away. They do autopsies, and you know, by this point, you'd be not surprised to hear that they conclude that all 23 of the buzzards have been poisoned and all by the same substance, which is a particularly nasty toxin by the name of carbofuran. I'll pause you there for a second, TJ, because sure. 23 buzzards, it's a large board, it's a predatory board. Are they, are they common in West Cork? Well, they certainly seem to have been common in this particular locality, uh, or at least they were before this took place. Um, the, it, it's one of the success stories of the last few decades in that the population went from being practically non-existent to flourishing in some corners of the world, uh, or in, in, uh, in Ireland at least. Uh, so there are many more of them around now than there were, but that changes nothing in the sense that they're still completely protected. Hmm. Now, they were poisoned with something that is off the market. Yeah, it's banned. It's been banned even for possession, never mind usage, um, for, I think, 12 years now, pretty much throughout Europe. Um, it's, it's an unpleasant toxin, not that there's probably any such thing as a pleasant one, but uh, it has very nasty uh, effects. Um, and, and, of course, the very act of setting out poisoned bait is illegal across Europe and in Ireland. And using this particular toxin in that way, it's, even the possession of it is illegal, never mind the use of it. Wow. So somebody would have had to, as, as they say, genuinely know what they were doing and have genuine intentions towards these birds. What is the Amica project then? How did that come about and what's its role in this? Yeah, well, a funny thing happened on the way to the theatre, as they say. So the Amica Project is actually, it's a registered animal welfare charity, and we started it up actually with a completely different target in mind, which was to uh, chase the problem of abandonment of dogs in Ireland. So nothing whatsoever to do with buzzards. But when we read about this buzzard case, um, again, this is now December 2019, we were aware of it pretty much immediately and we watched how it was being covered with a great deal of interest and we realized that it wasn't going anywhere we realized that people were horrified by it media wrote about it it was discussed but nothing was material was happening so we looked at one another and i went well look this isn't really our, the job but what happens if we run a reward what happens if we offer a reward somebody out there must know something about this and and maybe this could be the trigger so the Annika Project is an animal welfare charity. It happens to have taken on this particular issue just because we thought it needed to be done and we could. So you put up 
what, 5,000? Yeah, we put up a reward for 5,000 euro for information of a high enough quality that it could lead to a prosecution. Obviously, incomplete anonymity. We ran that ad across a number of journals across uh, Cork County with an emphasis on the southern end of it uh, for obvious reasons. Um, And we did that starting in July, August of last year with no real idea of what was going to happen. Um, We might get lots of calls. There might be all cranky and rubbish or there might be uh, some genuine positive information. Anyway, what happened was perhaps 12 or 13 people came forward with a variety of different levels of information, um, some of which was plainly irrelevant. Some of it came from other parts of County Cork that wouldn't have had anything to do with this particular incident. But then one very specific informant came forward with very specific information. And uh, we found that very interesting. It seemed plausible and credible to Mm. us. So we with the informant's position, uh, permission, took it to the Gardaí. And what was the response of the Gardaí when you brought it to them? Well, first of all, I have to give it great credit to the Gardaí and Timalee because they cared about this from day one. And we, we told them before we even set off on this uh, reward offering mission that we were thinking about doing it. And so this was done. They, they, they condoned it particularly, but they were very concerned about the fact that they hadn't gotten anywhere with this. Um, they said, look, this is interesting, but we can't act directly on this. We need to, we need to verify the informant. We need to figure out if, if this person is, uh, is credible in his own right. Oh, in other words, what they said to you was, hang on, this is a very good working theory, but we need to go and check who's providing it before we take it any further. Exactly. And you would hope for nothing less. You would hope for nothing less. This has to be done the right way. So um, the guards um, took this on, um, took a, went away with the information and came back to us a little while later, a respectively short period of time later, and said, look, we have checked this around and um, we, we know the individual involved, your, in, your informant, and he is credible. And this all sort of adds up. So we're going, to, we're going to see where we can go with this. So when was that? So that would have been August of last year. And has anything happened since? Well, yes and no. Um, the, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how this operates uh, here in Ireland, but where there are crimes of this sort committed and where they need or have the opportunity to be prosecuted, the National Parks and Wildlife Service are entrusted with that job and they're supposed to work hand in glove with the Gardaí to make things happen. Right. And um, that's fairly understandable. Um, there was good news and bad news. And um, the good news was that uh, further information was balled up, further uh, uh, interviewing took place, and eventually the individual who had been identified was visited um, quite vigorously uh, by the authorities. Um, and I think it is fairly clear that that individual would now know very clearly that what they were up to was uh, had been noted. And uh, that that and and deemed unacceptable, and that it was against the law, and it shouldn't be happening. Um, no, no prosecution took place, um, and in one sense that's unfortunate. But in another sense, you know, the larger prize for us isn't about getting people fined and arrested; it's about stopping people poisoning these birds. So the very fact that we're even having this conversation right now is helpful. There has been no recurrence, I hope. 
Not that we know of, no. And I mean, you know, this was a fairly visible effort. We took out full-page ads in all of these journals. I mean, the fact that there was a fairly sizable reward involved in it um, would have been attention-getting. And it just put the subject into conversation. And for anybody who might not have known or had known and forgot, well, there's a lot of people out there who now realize that this is a serious crime and it has serious consequences for people. The individual involved, the, the suspect, for to use that, that word, and we will not name or attempt to identify anybody. Have they said anything about why they did it? Have they even said they're sorry? Do you know if they've made any kind of a statement to anybody or where this might go from here? Well, to tell you the truth, um, if they did, that wouldn't necessarily be known to us. And I think appropriately so. Um, we're a charity and we have our heads screwed on straight and we're, we, we care for the right things, but we're not officially part of any investigation or prosecution. So we have no particular right to know. Um, and so... You know, we got a, a, a polite nod from various parties saying, thank you very much for helping us with this. But in terms of what exactly happened on the doorstep on the day, we, we wouldn't have access to that. But you want more to be done, I think, by the sound of what you're saying to me. As long as stuff like this happens, we want to see it followed up on. And I do believe that there are lessons that we can learn from the pace at which this investigation took place and the subsequent activities took place, which you know, wasn't as quick as it might have been, um, to tell you the truth. Um, not necessarily the Gardaí, but the wider process was a bit unwieldy and a little slow. And it probably didn't help the chances of uh, gaining a prosecution. So we were encouraged by this and we, we would actually make it known to other communities around the country that if stuff like this happens and there are widespread poisoning incidents, um, we'd like to know. And if there's a role that we can play in helping to um, flush people out, then we'd be, we'd be happy to do that. I think you're saying to me that you don't appreciate the fact that it's been lo- just left hanging there, as it were. Uh, look, in an ideal world, the, 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 clearer, the clearer the signal that we can send to the world about how unacceptable this is and what consequences attach to it, the better. And in that respect... Had there been a fine, had there been a prosecution, it would have been better. There could be no doubt about that. But that said, a clear signal has been sent. And we've learned some things about how this operates. And I think that we can do more and do better going forward and maybe even help the National Parks and Wildlife Service to review their own uh, methods of operation. And who knows, maybe bring about some improvement. Well, as anybody who listens to this program frequently will tell you, our listeners love birds, even if they are predators. I remember the story, obviously, from the time and how shocking it was. Thank you for the investigative work that you've done and for bringing it as far as you could bring it, TJ. Well, thanks very much, BJ, and it's uh, really appreciated that you have us on to, to talk about this. That's TJ from the Amica Project, speaking to him in the last few days. Just raises some questions. Good that they got the investigation going. Good that the Gardaí seem to have spoken to somebody about it. But you kind of wonder, a substance that is banned, like banned to the point where even possessing it is an offence, let alone using it. It was not only obviously possessed, but used to kill off 23 or 22 or 23 buzzards, it would appear from what TJ tells us that the Gardaí either knew or have a fair handle on who did it. 
may well have spoken to them, but there's been no sanction for possessing a substance that they're not even supposed to possess and no sanction for using a substance that they're not supposed to use to kill those beautiful birds. Which begs a question, who was it? And I've no doubt about it that when we can get to West Cork and when people can get up and down out of West Cork and someone... I'm, I've no doubt that if I was down around League or that neck of the woods in the summertime and I started asking questions in a pub... God, remember when you could do that? It was great being a journalist. You could ask questions in a pub. Remember that? Someone will tell me. But I get the impression, just an impression, that someone got a, will you ever stop that, though, for God's sake, approach. Which wouldn't be good enough at all. 1850 715 uh, On, yeah, Ashley says, that person asking about the guards sitting in a squad car, do they not have anything better to do or to ask or to complain about always having a go at the guards there's a lot of that going on at the moment actually to be fair but you're right do they have nothing better to do than wonder what rules and regulations apply to them and what special what special provisions the guards have then again what special provision did whoever had the poison down in, in West Cork I don't know if you've seen Tomas Ryan's Twitter this morning I haven't but he and some other UK scientists are on about the UK variant and that it's now picking up the gene that makes the vaccines less effective. This is the E484 mutation. Pinning hopes only on a vax is not a good idea. The virus in that regard is going to chase us around the houses with many, many variants, which in fairness is what the flu does year in, year out. There are different variants, so you have to vary the vaccines. I think the last time, I, not that this morning, I didn't get to it this morning with Luke O'Neill, but the last time I was talking to Luke O'Neill, I asked him about variants, and what he said to me was, look, obviously in the, in their own way they cause concern, and if a, vaccine, or if a variant came out that was vaccine-resistant, then it would cause a lot of concern. But now that we know how to make a vaccine for the virus we know how to adapt it for the variants. Or at least with a bit of research, we can figure out how to adapt it for the variants. So I wouldn't be panicking too much about it, is what Luke O'Neill was saying. But Tomas Ryan is one of the zero COVID people. We will be focusing more on zero COVID or we could be zero, which is the new campaign, the hashtag, we could be zero. We're focusing more on that uh, towards the rest of the week. So we might we might raise that question again. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is back. Our favourite fundraiser returns this May to raise money for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2021 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organise a virtual coffee break, a no uniform day, or gather all those loose coins with our change collector boxes. Stay listening for more details on how to raise funds. The 2021 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's 
Gold Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Quartz 96 FM. Families touched by cancer are always very inspirational families, I think. Um, spoken in the course of Radiothon over the years to many, many of them and how they take the tragedy that cancer can visit on a family and many of them turn it into a powerful fundraising effort as if, as it were, to give back to the people who tried to help their loved one. Might not have succeeded in saving their loved one, but they made that journey easier. Uh, John Linehan was such a man. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2015. He passed away as early as, or as recently as January 16th last. And his family have raised over 60,000 euro for a special service. Um, his brother-in-law is Dermot O'Sullivan. Dermot, good morning. Good morning. And it was a very recent loss. My, my sincere condolences. Tell me a little bit about John first. Thank you. Um, yeah, as you said, the, the, the loss is still quite um, raw to us. Obviously, John just passed away a little over two weeks ago. Um, and Gillian and the kids, one of the positivities they wanted to take from it, obviously, was to set up a GoFundMe page um, in memory of John. And we've been actually blown away by, obviously, as you mentioned, we've surpassed 60,000 in just a little over two weeks. And, and that's just from family and friends and, and John's HSE colleagues. So one of the, obviously, initially started out was, to me, is money for Marymount and obviously the, um, the acute oncology service, the new service in Cork University Hospital, which was very beneficial to John in, in the latter stages. Um, and we wanted to do, to do that. And I suppose at this stage, we just wanted to maybe because of the response, as I said, from close family friends and his HSE colleagues to throw it out in the wider media so as to further improve a fantastic service. Um, and by asking people, obviously, as you mean, everyone's been affected, every house nearly in the country at this moment in time is affected by cancer. Mm. And there's really to throw it out there and see can we create even more funding to give to the acute oncology service in CUH. He was a nurse, wasn't he? Yeah, John was a nurse. He trained in actually, uh, I suppose, ironically, Cork University Hospital or Cork Regional is very close to his heart at the time. He trained there as a student nurse in between 85 and 88 and went on to staff in um, GB Orthopaedics at the time, I think, and work in the emergency department at that stage. She actually met Gillian there during a patient transfer. She was a, a nurse in the South Infirmary um, at that stage. So they met around, I suppose, the, the, the HSC circle um, as such. Um, he moved on then. He was very involved in the hospital. You know, he would have played uh, football and soccer with the Cork uh, Regional Hospital at the time. He actually played an All-Iron final. We, you know, we found all this out last. John was a, a very quiet gentleman, so we didn't, you know, unfortunately you don't hear the, these great stories until someone has passed on, but he actually won an All-Ireland with Our Ladies Hospital um, back in those days, in, and which was played in Crow Park. Um, he'd also been very involved in music and would have played with the Plexus Folk Group in the mm. hospital. He moved on then to, I suppose, to give back and to become a nurse tutor and nurse lecturer, um, just the lecture student nurses, including myself, um, before he moved on and obviously then on to UCC in 2000 when, when, the, when the training program changed. So CUH and Cork University Hospital, I suppose at that stage was, you know, a big family and was a very important part of John's, the beginning of John's career and even the feedback and, and, and the condolences we've got since then, you know, from 
student nurses and nurses all over the world that John that trained from the UK, the Middle East, as far away as Australia. So he definitely touched a lot of people's hearts. And I suppose what Gillian and John want to do is to give back to, to Cork University Hospital, which was so good to them, mm. to John's in early career, but also in John's final days as well. So Tell, tell what, me about the ambulatory care unit. What, what is that? So the ambulatory care unit was set up in March 2020, ironically, just before COVID, um, as a service for acute oncology patients to access. And I suppose initially before that, patients would have presented to the emergency department. And as you're probably, you're very familiar with, obviously, you know, is under a lot of pressure all the time, but especially now. So what this did is it allowed patients, cancer patients, to access the service without having to go through the emergency department. And obviously, you know, it, it, it gives them a very safe space. Yeah. It allows them to contact the, the nurse. There's a, there's a point to contact there all the time. They've, I think, treated or, I suppose, uh, accepted over 500 patients and they've avoided over 300 of these patients actually being of, admitted into hospital. So these would be cancer patients who would normally have some kind of a flare-up, would find themselves going in through the ED, but they go in this way instead. Yes, absolutely. Right. So, and I mean, obviously... and. You know, obviously with these patients that are immunosuppressed anyway, um, ED, especially obviously in the current climate, COVID is high risk area anyway. So this allows these patients, this pathway into to, to Cork University Hospital. It's run under um, Mags Allen, the advanced nurse practitioner, and Dr. Richard Bambury, who's the clinical director of cancer services for CUH. So it's a fantastic um, pathway for these patients. And what we hope to do is to give the majority of the funding raised um, to develop the service even further and, and, and furnish a proper, you know, a, a room or an area for patients within CUH. Um, and obviously this is something that John, you know, in John's memory and John would have wanted, John would have always been very much involved with, you know, improving patient care and would have especially worked a lot with the elderly in the community and in the area of dementia. So it's just been fantastic to date, the response, and that's why we just wanted to, to, I suppose, to go to the media to allow people that are obviously affected by cancer and that have used the service in the past and that will need the service in the future so that they can get this access into Cork University Hospital. Now, now it started, the, the GoFundMe started, I think, around the time of John's funeral, was it? Yeah, to just I think just after John's John's funeral, which was the 16th. Um, so we, I think, GoFundMe actually initially came to Gillian and, and and Jennifer, her her eldest girl, who had set it up. I think it was the second fastest within a week to you know for funding. So, as I said, we've been blown away. I mean, by by the generosity of people and obviously from family and friends, and that's why we just wanted to, I suppose to give the wider public the opportunity to you know if. To, to give to the fund um, and to sort of as to benefit other cancer patients and, and families moving forward. Yeah, we've shared the link now on our social. If anyone wants to go there and uh, and donate, or they just just Google GoFundMe John Linehan and it'll come up as the first page in a yes. search. So there's sixty thousand in there, which is a fabulous achievement. Yes, I mean it initially started as a five thousand um, euro goal. So as I said, we've just just been blown away by the generosity of everyone. Just to thank everyone for their condolences um, yeah. and their help to Jill and and the family in the last um, couple of months. Yeah, how, how are they? And um, they're doing very well. I mean, they're doing very well. Obviously, you take the try to take the positivities out of everything. Um, you know, I suppose coming back to the acute oncology service, you know, it definitely saved John not being admitted into hospital, which gave him more time at home with the kids yeah. and with Jill. Um, and obviously that's time that they'll never forget and obviously, you know, never get back. Um, 
but you know, so and that's why I suppose they really feel, and John felt at the time that this, the acute oncology service was very was was fantastic for him at the end, and this is why he wanted, I suppose, to raise these funds to you know to help future cancer patients and cancer patients at present, you know, um, to benefit from that, to spend more time with their families, if possible. All right. Well, listen, it's a, it's a superb effort, 60,000 in the space of, of a couple of weeks and a couple of very difficult weeks for the family. And we've shared it now. Hopefully we can add a bit more to it. And as you know, Dermot, the, the CUH and its cancer care and indeed Marymount, they're very tied to us through our Radiothon project every year. So, yeah. so they're, they're all close to our hearts here. Well done on what you've done. My condolences again uh, to the family. And, and may John rest in peace. Thank you. Cheers. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We have shared uh, that link now. Do you want to hear it again? Uh, this this is the, the. I promise you, this is your earworm for the day. You will be going around. I don't know who they are. I'd love to find out who they are. I don't know who they are, where they're from, or where they got the idea. But they've just gone completely viral on it. You know. Here we go. <laughs> 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 we're on Tesco's now in a minute. In behind your mask. No, not that bit. 1850715996. It's the 2nd of February. How are you dealing with it? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. What does Valentine's Day this year look like? Might be a couple of weeks away, but we got to start thinking about those presents. Need your help after midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Oh, there's another bit of a earworm on Twitter as well um, from the guards. Uh, now, before I even share this, which I will. People will be moaning about the guards about it again. Don't even start. Don't even start. We wonder all these videos going around that you've seen of guards doing little bits of dance practice in car parks. And there was one on, was on the roof of a guard station in Kerry. There's a purpose to all of that. It's a challenge. It's a TikTok challenge, believe it or not. It's quite a good tune they're TikToking to as well. That's coming before the end. But definitely, the 2nd of February is one of, Apartment has one of the funniest films you've ever seen I, I think it's probably on Netflix or Amazon or one of those have a look it's one of the funniest movies you have ever seen in your life the sampling is my own Tanya Sweeney good morning to you good morning how are you you've been writing about Groundhog Day and every day is like Groundhog Day <laughs> remind people again who'd be a bit younger about this, the movie and the yeah. whole story of Groundhog Day it's to do with a, a groundhog I tell you, it's, well, Groundhog Day in the US is basically the day that groundhogs kind of awaken from their winter slumber. So it's kind of when it winters over. 
But the 1993 film has Bill Murray uh, as Phil, this kind of weatherman who just inexplicably is living the same day over and over again. You know, his alarm clock goes off on the 2nd of February and he just kind of wakes up and he's got the same day happening all the time, which most of us can kind of, you know, <laughs> relate to now at this stage because we're, we're, we're kind of waiting to be kind of liberated from our own winter hibernation, really. And, you know, every day is... is depressingly samey, you know, so and the walls are starting to kind of uh, close in on us. And I think our brains are starting to turn to mush because there's just very little variety happening in our lives now. I, I was talking to uh, uh, few people earlier this morning about this. Eddie, the psychologist, uh, uh, and, and Luke O'Neill, Professor Luke O'Neill, about how every day is the same and how it's hard to keep mm. ourselves going. Um, yeah. Dr. Eddie Murphy was saying the same, but it is hard to keep yourself going when every day looks the same. Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, most people's mental well-being comes from, you know, looking forward to something new, you know, excitement, adventure. And, you know, if you're if you're doing things the right way, you know, it's very hard to, to find excitement and adventure. But as I've written in the Irish Independent today, not impossible. So... Yeah, the, the end. Of, I, I think I may have in, incorrectly said the time. What what kind of suggestions do you have for us? Well, I mean, okay. So the first thing to do is to just look at your daily routine, and you know, a lot of it is dull and samey. And I think a lot of people, you know, will just get up and they'll have their shower and they'll have their breakfast and they'll go and sit at their desk or they'll, you know, look after their kids, you know, doing the homeschooling. Now, see where there is room for innovation or even just a little bit of a change. I mean, take a bath. Get up half an hour earlier and just have a bath and enjoy that moment, you know, or, you know, um, make yourself a kind of a special breakfast instead of just, you know, reaching for the cornflakes, that kind of thing, you know. And the same with at night. I mean, I think, like, I don't know if I've managed to deviate from the Netflix kind of habit, you know, at all at night. It's just it's just become kind of autopilot now. So I would say, you know, something like, you know, play a game of Scrabble or, you know, read a book or even, you know, try something arts-based online that you haven't done before you know there's some live theater online there are gigs online you know there's 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 now cinema online you know just take yourself out of your comfort zone and, and start looking at things you might ordinarily watch it, it may involve learning new skills <laughs> well, you know and, and you know what no harm learning these skills you know this is the world we live in now and if you don't know how to access you know, or rent a, 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 you know, a film that's in the, you know, ostensibly in the box office cinema kind of great. Now, I mean, now is the time to learn all that stuff. You know, you have the time on your hands, you know, and you, most people will have the inclination. So mm. now's the time to learn, for what's, sure. What's great fun, and here's an idea. We, we've been doing this since the start. There's two friends of ours who we would see quite frequently. We might go out with them or they'd come to our house or we'd go to theirs and we've been friends for many a long day. We started tagging or tapping the laptop into the big TV and oh, yeah. having Skypes with them and having oh, drinkies and, and nibbles over Skype. That's a nice idea. That's it's a great fun, idea. You know. I think a lot of people are finding the Zoom Skype thing at this, you know, we're a year into it now. Yeah. I think a lot of people are finding the Zoom thing a little wearying, you know, but it's great. I think it's really helpful to have another kind of family that you can kind of check in on. And like you say, have the nibbles, have some drinks and and just enjoy yourself like that, you know. Just and, go through the, the the stories of the week and and and, and all that yeah. kind of thing. Totally. 
Yeah, it is the way. The theme of our program earlier this morning was, though, Tanya, that you know, it is for, even for those of us who who tend to potter along, happy out, and our jobs mm. mercifully haven't been affected by this. And you know, we've all, we've all, if you like, we've all come out of it fairly unscathed. On, on exactly, but but it is still getting very, very hard. It, it's very, very, and I think that's something that has to be sort of recognised. I mean, I think a lot of people fortunately can say, you know what, I'm very lucky. I haven't been directly affected maybe by the coronavirus. The only thing that's happened to my life is I'm working from home or I'm homeschooling my children. And really that is a blessing, you know. But at the same time, you're allowed to acknowledge that having the same day over and over and over again without your normal coping mechanisms and your usual support networks, it is hard. Like someday I had a really tough day. I wanted to just go to bed and stay there. And you have to, I mean, I have a child, so I had to get up and kind of mm. do all the, but you know, we're, we're going doing the same walks and we're doing the same stuff and it's very hard to keep her entertained. And, you know, I think this is where we have to kind of go, right, what can we do where we are still honouring government guidelines, but, you know, just make, you know, changing things up a little bit for ourselves. Mm. That you, you mentioned the Sunday morning and, and that's a, a very good point like when Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday are the same except that you're yeah. not going to work because there's no pub to go to the restaurants are closed there's no exactly no, I think half well, the, the people around work. are too young to remember yeah. nightclubs do you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> you know and the theatres are gone there, there isn't anything to do when we can't even go to the beach because that's 15 miles away even if it was exactly. where there was you're kind of lying there on the Sunday morning going why am I bothering to get out exactly. of the bed it's so boring. I mean, like, it's so strange to me because we normally live for the weekend, you know what I mean? And even if you're not working, I mean, you're just, what are you going to do with yourself, you know? It's actually very, very strange, you know? But I do suggest, you know, like, if, if you're finding the things are just, you know, the, the, the expanse of the day is stretched out ahead of you, like, you know, go and clean out your fridge, find a project, you know what I mean? And, like, do something which will give you just that small feeling of accomplishment do you know that kind of way just well, one small thing yeah like, well, well, well climb a mountain here you know that's so. kind of why i'm sitting here this is the second day in the ring i'm sitting here with sore elbows and sore knees <laughs> because the wife decided at the weekend it might be a good idea to um insulate and and refloor the attic well, and i'm oh battered God. and banjaxed from bending but into small corners now, but at know? the same time it was a pleasant release from hours and hours of COVID. There you go. Exactly. I think doing something and putting your mind into a project, you know, whether it is like that, a renovate, home renovation, you know, and I think that's why for the last year there's been lots of, oh, learn a language. And some people are like, do you know what? I'm not the humour for this. But there's a lot to be said for just taking your mind and putting it into something else, whether it's a jigsaw puzzle or, you know, just learning to cook Japanese food. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, I think it is a huge ask to tell people to start kind of, you know, getting involved in all these mad new hobbies. But, you know, I definitely think, you know, sitting and thinking too much, doom scrolling on your phone, listening to the news. You know, I think you just need to break the monotony up of that a little bit, you know, with something else. You come, know, come I've back never to me, though, about something that's in your piece. And yeah. you, you need to explain yourself here. Hold on. <laughs> we can't. I mean, Netflix is sustaining our brain. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot to be said for just cutting the cord a couple of evenings a week, you know. And you and watch Amazon or said? <laughs> well, what you know, what I mean, do like we want to do? Board games or, you know. But they, board they, games? Like this. The clue <laughs> is in the title. 
you know what? I also say that there is there are online choirs, you know, and you know yeah. these kind, there are so many. Look, the year the in twenty twenty there has been an explosion of people who are trying to kind of lift others out of the the kind of you know Groundhog Day and and the sadness and the awfulness of the pandemic. And if you look, you know, hard enough, you will find. I mean, if if, if an online choir isn't your thing, you will definitely find somewhere that you know, a, a, a tribe online. And I mean, it is all going online, you know. And yeah. There's no point in going, well, I don't do online. You do now. You do now. Because, you don't have a choice. Yeah. Well, exactly. This is the world we live in now. And you can, you know, dig your heels in and be a Luddite all you like, but you'll be left behind. Yeah, well, you know what? If 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 my mother can learn to use Facebook and use Zoom, oh, anybody can. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Tanya, you good go. to talk to you. Cheers. Take care. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It's every day's kind of the same at the moment, but it's also what you make of it. What can you do with it? Um. So that sameness, that flatness, that dull, repetitive Groundhog Day. It's it's up to ourselves to change it, you know. What the guards are doing, actually. Maybe they're trying to beat the whole ground dog day thing. This is Jerusalem. This is a good tune, actually. But this started in Switzerland, where a bunch of Swiss cops did a TikTok. And it kind of went a small little bit viral. And now cops all over Europe are doing their own version and learning the dance in car parks. And on the roofs of Garda stations. It's a good tune. So if you've seen any guards in car parks learning to dance or look like they're learning a dance step or maybe even out at a checkpoint dancing in sync, you know, maybe this is what they're at. I like that. That's cool. Yeah, heard the steps are quite simple. Mag says her fella isn't at it because he got two left feet. <laughs> so that's what they're at. All those videos of guards learning to dance. They're trying to follow the lads in Switzerland on TikTok. And the tune is called Jerusalem and it's a huge, huge craze. 1850-715-996. PJ said, we're not on the buzzards. Um, and my chat with TJ, Eugene, and he's right. PJ, we're not just at the loss of those 20-odd birds, but we're at the loss of their young and their young's young. So, in fact, we're at the loss of hundreds of birds, says Eugene, which is true. I'm reminded that Nelly of Holy God, her anniversary is 113 years ago today. There was also... A story I picked up last night that Alexander Selkirk was a man rescued from a desert island God knows how long ago today. Alexander Selkirk. Does the name mean anything to you? He's the man on whom they based the story of Robinson Crusoe. Just looking at um, how seriously they take the whole thing in Australia. We know Perth has gone into a lockdown. There's a man has been just jailed for 18 days in Perth. 18 days 
for refusing to wear a mask in the middle of their lockdown. That's how strictly they're taking it over there and that's why Australia has achieved as much as it has achieved. Sad news yesterday, before the Christmas, we, we featured actually uh, a look back at Saved by the Bell was one of the big stories, shows in the 90s. Poor old Screech died. Dustin Diamond, he died. Uh, very quickly and from tragic from cancer at a tragically young age. Remember this guy. Do I look that desperate for a date? <laughs> what time do I pick her up? The lights low, the hopes high, the gummy bears flowing like candy. <laughs> Magical. Well, you who? Oh, you me? <laughs> get out of here. When morning comes, I raise my head, shut off the alarm, and get out of bed. I brush my teeth like mother said. And always feed my spider Ted. Screech. Justin Diamond. Sad news. All right, that's it for this morning. The program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we shall see you tomorrow, just after nine. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.